You may be seated. Hey, good morning. Welcome to Trinity Northside. We're so glad to be worshiping with you this morning. My name is John Ziegler, and I am the pastor here. Special welcome to you if you're here for the first time. If you were born just a few weeks ago and you're here among us and everyone else, we're so happy to see you this morning, whether you're especially cute or, well, you know. We're just kidding. Hey, you guys are awesome. So good to be with you. I know you guys had a party on Friday without me because I heard about it. I heard it was a good time. In our new space, all of our kids and some of their adults went with them on Friday just to go party it up, to go scooter around and, and have a blast. And I hear it was a great time. Um, Jan and I were having a great time of our own. It was our 14th wedding anniversary. We went to this really great city. Have you guys ever heard of this place, Macon, Georgia? It's really amazing. I know a lot of you guys just think it's a spot to get gas on the way to Savannah. I know that. You've told me. But trust me, just wait. You're going to hear about it in like 10 years. And you're going to be like, John told me about it. I'll be like, no, it was, just, it was Bailey and Rudolph that told us. So anyway, all right. Fresh back from Macon, feeling good. Hey, I want to talk to you guys about what we're doing here. Uh, we are in the process of becoming Church of the Incarnation. And incarnation is what happens when the Trinity comes near and moves into the neighborhood. A while back, someone was asking, what in, on the most basic sense, what is it that we do? What, what do we do as a church? And I said, we invite people into the life of God. And what I meant by that is the life of God has always existed. This life of the Trinity, this life of joy and happiness and peace has always existed. And through sending of the Son into the world, we've gotten caught up in this life of the Trinity. And so now we can know God and we can be a part of this Trinitarian dance. And it's our job here to love that, that life that we get to share in the Trinity and to embrace it and to invite others into the life of God. And so we've been working on some things behind the scene with this kind of new name change and a fresh vision that goes along with it, and there's a wonderful design team over at Trinity Westside that's been working with us over the last couple of weeks to produce a new logo for our church. You want to see it? Well, probably you've already kind of seen it. Let's show them the logo. Oh, that, there's, one, there's a logo. Did it not make it? It didn't make it. Oh, oh bless us. Okay. Well, you, at least you see the, uh, the slide too, no? All right. It's all good. I prepped it for you guys. Uh, for some reason, the, the transfer wasn't happy. But you see that lamb there, kind of tiny on the screen. That lamb is going to be our new symbol, of course, with the word church. Actually, if you just move the lamb over here, over this church thing, you'll see that's our logo. And so you can ask, like, how do you actually turn the idea of incarnation into kind of a symbol? And so there's only so many things you can go with, but a really great way to do that is to think about Jesus Christ, the lamb of God, right? The symbol of God in the flesh the sacrificial lamb. And what I love about this one, there's a lot of ways you could portray that lamb, but it's a lamb with a cross and this little, little kind of banner on the cross. It's a banner of victory. It's a lamb that has actually overcome sin in the grave and has risen. And so we have this symbol of, of the incarnation, of the victorious incarnation as our symbol. And it's great. I know it's awesome. And if you don't know, I think it's going to grow on you. So not only do we have a new logo, we're moving to a new space at 5522 New Peachtree. 
Do you guys want to see some renderings of, of the new space, how it's going to look on the inside? We have a few of those for you. Um, hey, Brandon, can we cut the light, that light that's on the, just on that screen? Bam, yeah, maybe that helped. All right, so you can see kind of an idea of what it's going to look like. We've got those beautiful trusses up top. We've got the baptismal font here as you walk into the, into the sanctuary, and then the altar, and then you can see the lectern there. Then, so you want to just give a few more shots? Got these nice benches and pews. It's a little washed out, but you get the idea. It's pretty cool, I hope. You do, right? All right. It's in, you guys got a pamphlet. It's in that pamphlet. You'll get a chance to see that. So the space is going to be awesome. We're entered now into the month of October. And for us, October is a big month of discernment. And so each week here on a Sunday morning, we're going to be sharing about our vision, our renewed vision for Trinity. And we want to invite you as we talk about that vision and our sermon series just to discern this vision. Like, how is it align with your calling and, and where do you see yourself in it? And then we're also beginning uh, the campaign, which we're calling Foundation Fund. And we have been for a long time clearing the ground, preparing it to build a really great church. And we're at the spot in the life of our church where we can lay a really great foundation on which we can build a really solid church. And I'm really thankful for the spot at which we are in the life of our church. And um, what we're going to be doing over the next, uh, so we're going to have these little foundation fund neighborhood gatherings that are going to be kicking off um, starting next Monday. So the, the week of October 10, uh, we're going to invite you to sign up. The signouts are, are outside. They'll be there when you, when you leave here. And we're inviting everyone to sign up for one of these neighborhood gatherings. And it's there in those neighborhood gatherings where we're going to go a little bit in depth about kind of what we're doing with the new space and our kind of vision behind it and the kind of funds that we need to raise. So we're not going to do a big fundraising presentation here uh, in the middle of uh, our worship on a Sunday morning, but we're inviting people to come out and sign up for one of those gatherings, and hopefully one of them will be uh, convenient for you. So we're going to invite you to sign up for that this morning. And basically, uh, what we're asking everyone to do is just pray and discern your part in this vision and your part in funding this vision. Um, and we have, if you look in that little brochure you have uh, in your bulletins, there's a little giving goal card in there. And what we're asking everyone to do this month as we have these discussions, as you spend time praying about it, to come up with, by the end of the month, your giving goal. And it's gonna be a total giving goal for the next two months. I mean, sorry, for the next two years. So we're not saying how much can you give to the building fund. We're saying building fund, tithe, everything. And we're gonna, add, we're gonna invite you just to let us know so that we have an idea where we're gonna come in. So anyway, we're gonna get into details on that once you come out to one of these gatherings, we're gonna be talking about it. I just wanna put that in your hand this morning so that you can begin to begin praying about it and uh, hopefully sign up to be a part of one of these discussions. All right, let's get into our sermon this morning. Creation, as Nick sang for us this morning, where, where were you when I laid the earth's foundations? These words are, of course, words posed from God to Job. And of course, Job was nowhere to be found when this happened. I find it fascinating how some things in nature that are incredibly beautiful are also incredibly dangerous. 
you might think of something like the beautiful pattern on a dart poison frog, or I like to think about lava exploding out of a volcano and just how wonderfully beautiful, but yet how incredibly dangerous something like that is. Last night, we had a little fire going uh, in our yard. We had built a little fire pit and the fire was just beautiful. And at the end of it, the embers were just, the coals, you know, were just kind of glowing just in a very kind of magical way. And it was just incredibly beautiful. But at the same time, you're really like trying to keep your kids, right, from getting too close to it. Or you're hoping that a coal doesn't blow over and go into the yard. It can be beautiful and yet dangerous at the same time. I don't know if you've ever seen this footage of like the army from the 1950s when they're testing the atomic weapons, right? And they have all these soldiers that are out there doing their exercises as they're exploding these these bombs off. It's like so bizarre, right, to us now to think about it. But they're kind of testing it and they're seeing what happens when soldiers are exposed to it. And if you just think about that, that crazy, terrific, humongous explosion of fire going up in the air and that huge mushroom crowd, just how terrifying something like that is, and yet also strangely beautiful. And in the minds of ancient people, the act of creation must have been something incredibly beautiful and yet terrifying, like one of these explosions. Yes, I mean, it would have been a beautiful and colorful sight to witness, but such powerful forces would have been at work that you would not have wanted to be standing too close as something like this were happening. Where were you? This question describes the untraversable distance between us and God. You were not there. I was not there. No one could be there. However, in, at the beginning of John's gospel this morning, we find out that something or someone was, in fact, there. The gospel will be no doubt familiar to many of us. In the beginning was the word, and the word was with God, and the word was God. He was in the beginning with God. All things came into being through him. And without him, not one thing came into being. What has come into being in him was life, and the life was the light of all people. Friends, the word was always there from the beginning. With God was God, and all things were made through him. Of course, this language of was and with reminds us Christians of the Trinity, right? This doctrine that we have had passed down to us. But at this point, John hasn't said anything to his readers that would have sounded so incredibly unusual. So this Greek word for the word was made flesh, word is logos. And logos would have been very familiar in Greek philosophy, Logos is also the word from which we get logic, and they're very much into logic, and there was very much this idea that there's some force of logic that is kind of governing the universe. So this idea that it was through the logos that the world was made, it would have made sense. Not everyone might have agreed to it, but they would have known how to kind of get started with these words from John. 
And then you might be familiar that in some of the Jewish wisdom literature, wisdom itself is actually often personified. Not only personified, sometimes deified. And it talks about wisdom in creation. And so, you know, the idea of the logos is not too far from our concept of wisdom. So again, for a lot of Jewish folks, it might have not sounded too strange for them. We can say things like God is love. So we might also be able to say something like God is perfect wisdom. And that it was through this wisdom that he created all things. And so the beginning of John probably would have sounded perfectly fine for many Greeks and Jews. And definitely Judaism and kind of the religion of, of the monotheistic Greek philosophers, they actually would have had several, several things in common in their view of God. It would have sounded like this. God is holy other. God is holy and immortal and eternal no beginning and no end. God is not comprised of atoms. God is spirit and not material like the created world. And therefore God is not something that we can smell or taste or touch or see. And so the Greeks and the Jews would have agreed with what John says in verse 18. No one has ever seen God. Or as we read last week from the Apostle Paul, it is God alone who has immortality and dwells in unapproachable light whom no one has seen or can see. And it is this agreed upon view of God as one who cannot be seen as completely separate from creation that then makes John 1.14 so incomprehensible. This is what the text says. And the word became flesh and lived among us. And we have seen his glory, the glory as a father's only son, full of grace and truth. The word was with God and was God, who created all things, has joined himself with human flesh and lived among us in the person of Jesus Christ. And for the first time ever, you could imagine asking a human being, where were you? And then Jesus could say, I was there. The word became flesh. This is what incarnation means. God in the flesh. The word became flesh and lived among us. Some translations say, and made his dwelling among us. And the Greek word for this, eskaneo, literally means God was made flesh and tabernacled among us. That word tabernacle recalls Israel's journey through the wilderness, right? From, from Egypt in the Exodus into the promised land. 
And what would happen? God told them, hey, I want you to create this tent, this tent of meeting, also called the tabernacle, right? And the glory of God would fill that tent of meeting. And it was a place on earth where God's presence could be found. It was somehow present to the senses in some mysterious and beautiful and terrifying way. God had dwelled among them. And now John is recalling that scene from the wilderness and saying, the word was made flesh and has tabernacled among us. Friends, Jesus is God's presence manifested among us. That is why John can say, we have seen his glory, the glory of a father's son full of grace and truth. So the first thing I want you to realize is that the incarnation shows us what God is like. Remember, friends, we weren't there, right? God exists in inapproachable light, to use the awesome words of Paul. But God, in his love, has decided to come and to live among us. God came to show, Jesus came to show us what God is like. And over and over again, you're going to hear Jesus say in the Gospel of John, the Father and I have one, and if you have seen the Son, you have seen the Father. Because the Son is the one that comes and reveals the glory of the Father. So knowing him is knowing the Father. And this describes the word, what we in Christian theology call revelation. And for Christians, revelation is the only path to salvation. You see, friends, we could not see. We could not find God on our own. We needed God to come and to show himself to us so that we might be saved. The incarnation might seem normal to us after 2,000 years of Christianity, but this idea would have been so mind-blowing for the folks um, in this day, both Greek and Jewish. This claim would have been considered at best audacious and by most either foolishness, insanity, or blasphemy. Why? Why would God do such a thing? What interest would God have in becoming a man? About 300 years later, one of my favorite teachers of the church, St. Athanasius, Bishop of Alexandria, he wrote a little treatise on the incarnation and he said it this way, God took on our nature so that we could take on his nature. Or God was humanized so that humans could be divinized. Friends, God became like us so that we could become like him. John 3.16 says that for God to love the world, that he gave his one and only son, that whoever believes in him would not perish, but have eternal life. The immortal one comes into the world so that mortals can have immortality. The sinless one comes into the world so that sinful people can be made sinless by the power of the cross. 
This is salvation. God became like us so that we could be made like him. The incarnation shows us what God is like also so that we can show others. We've got a new name. We're also going to have a new mission. I want to talk to you a little bit about that. Some of you might be sitting here in your chair just asking this really great theological question. What is the relationship between the church and the incarnate Lord? I know some of you are sitting here asking yourself like, all right, John, I hear you talking about the incarnation. That's great. But what's the relationship? So I want to tell you about it. In John 20, Jesus says to his disciples, as the father has sent me, so send I you. Receive the Holy Spirit. See, friends, incarnation is the intersection of divinity and humanity. It's the intersection of God's spirit with humanity. And that's why Paul can call the church the body of Christ. And of course, the church is not God. But there is a sense in which the same spirit of Christ has been poured out on the church the body of Christ. And that means that the incarnate body of Christ is somehow here and present among us and through us. As the Father has sent Christ, so is Christ now sending you out as his body on mission to be his body, to be his hands and feet, to do what he did to reveal the glory of the Father and the Son. And so a new mission to go with our new name is simply this, to be the body. Our mission is to become the body of Christ for the sake of the world, demonstrating God's beauty, goodness, and truth to those around us. Notice Body of Christ is also a word for church. Our, our ambition is to actually be the church. Like, we think the church is a really big thing. Like, if we could be the body of Christ, like, we'll be doing something really amazing. Like, if we can be, like, you know, an agent of healing in the world that points the world to the Father, like, we'll be doing awesome, right? And so we have this great ambition to be the thing that we really are, the thing that God is making us, the body of Christ. And one way to describe that is that we are here as both a sign and a foretaste of the coming kingdom. We're here showing people the beauty and the goodness and the truth of our Lord. Over the next three weeks, we're gonna kind of break down by beauty and goodness and truth and kind of flesh that out. Each week, we'll take one of those and talk about it. But I'll just share a little bit now. Um, you'll notice a lot of times when you read things, beauty is usually last. So people are, will ask me, why, why are we say beauty, goodness, and truth instead of truth, uh, goodness, and beauty? And it really doesn't matter which order you try to put it. We're not trying to say one is more important than the other. But for me, when I think about uh, friends that I'm praying for, friends that I want to see come to know Jesus. I think for a lot of those friends, truth, what they really need, um, 
is something that they're not as interested in. They're less interested in hearing my pitch on the four spiritual laws, right? Or whatever kind of evangelistic um, kind of story that you might be ready to share. Not that there's wrong, anything wrong with any of that. But I got a feeling there's a lot of my friends and probably a lot of your friends too that are more open to beauty as a starting point. And so what I would say, there's a lot of friends that maybe are less interested in having a conversation with me about Jesus right now. But if they go to Paris, they're not going to skip out on going into the Cathedral Notre Dame, right? Like, they're gonna, like when they go to Florence, they're going to walk into the Duomo and they're going to look up. And so a lot of us, uh, I would say definitely I'm in this category, have come up in churches over the last decades. We've embraced uh, good old like modernism and like things become really minimal and really practical. Like everything becomes functional. And a lot of us just kind of laid beauty by the wayside. But the churches for centuries have known the importance of beauty for preaching and proclaiming the gospel and for winning people to Jesus. Like we haven't tried to do it without beauty for long. It's just been a couple of decades. And so what I'm trying to say, part of what we need to do as a church is lean back into it as, as essential. Obviously, we can think about, we have seen his glory. Beauty and glory, it's kind of two ways of talking about the same thing, right? And then, of course, there's goodness. We're in it for the neighborhood. We're in it for the good of our city. There's truth, the truth that God is love, that God loves you, and he became like you to save you. There's the truth of the incarnation. What I, something I love about the incarnation is that it's so body positive. God loves bodies so much that God is willing to marry himself to a body in the person of Jesus and stay in that body for eternity. Remember, Jesus' body went up to heaven. There is a human body in heaven right now as we speak. And the hope and the promise for all of us that we will be in our bodies for eternity with him. The message of the incarnation is incredibly positive about human bodies, and that's very, very important for us to recover as Christians in this moment. As we wrap it up, I want to share with you one more translation of John 1.14 that I love from Eugene Peterson and the message. And he translates it like this. The word became flesh and blood and moved into the neighborhood. Friends, incarnation is what happens when the Trinity moves into the neighborhood. It's why I'm so excited about the season and the life of our church, because we are literally moving into the neighborhood. We're moving into 5522 New Peachtree Road. It's going to be a chance for us to be a testimony to the goodness and the beauty, the incarnation of our Lord, praying that God will use us as a demonstration and a sign in that space. As I was thinking about goodness, I was thinking about some of my former neighbors in Los Angeles. And so if you don't know anything about us, uh, my wife and I, um, in 2014, uh, moved into a neighborhood in Los Angeles to start a new church there. And so the only reason we were moving there was to start this church. We totally saw ourselves as missionaries, you know, but really like any of you good Christian folk, we just know that we exist, right, for the benefit of others. And so we moved in into that street and just got a chance to make friends with some of our neighbors. Uh, before long, some like little elementary school kids were coming over to our house and we were kind of tutoring them and loving on them and mentoring them and 
Um, I think people noticed that we were the kind of people that were intent on being friends and, and neighborly with, with our other neighbors. And yeah, we got to kind of know everyone. And after time, there were two interactions on that street that really stuck with me. And one was with a man named David and the other was with a woman named Maggie. And they both pretty much said the same thing. Uh, I think about Dave, he is the kind of person that you would never expect to see in a church. Like he grew up in a wild Los Angeles family. He has a wild life of drug addiction and recovery and works in the, the film industry and um, just a really fascinating person uh, to be friends with. And he said to me one day, like, I know God's brought you here to this neighborhood to like be a blessing to like this block. And it wasn't that long later that Maggie, a woman from a very different demographic with a very different life story, shared the same thing and just said, God sent you guys here. We know that you are a blessing. And I want to share that story with you, not to toot our own horn or anything, because we're really not that great. We're definitely not perfect neighborhoods, and the light of Christ definitely isn't shining through me 24-7 like I wish it were. But what I want to say is my prayer for us as a church is a prayer that will be similar with these neighbors, that as we move into this space, that we will, in a sense, live our lives together in such a way that people can say, people that are kind of far from God or not church folks even, might be able to look at us and say, there's something going on there that makes me think, yes, God is real and good and beautiful, and there's something at work in the life of these people that points me to who God is and what God is like. And also can imagine that if someone comes to me that's kind of looking for God, like they're hungry and they're searching, like they'll know where to send them. It can happen with us we can collectively become signs of God's beauty and goodness and truth. This is my prayer for us as an incarnation people, that our neighbors in North Atlanta would begin to become aware of God's beauty and goodness and the way that we demonstrate his love to our city. May it be so. Amen. I want to invite you now into a time of reflection uh, where you uh, we're going to ask the Holy Spirit what he might want to say to us in this time.